on this episode of AV Week, Alexa and Cortana are playing nice together. What that means for your next voice control deployment. Using your relationships with your manufacturers for big jobs. And what exactly makes a good AV professional. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 365, recorded Friday, August 24th, 2018. The AT Professional. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED. Innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to talk about the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, her name is Dawn Mead. You might know her as AV Dawn, and she is now a uh, an end user uh, for a, a corporation. How are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, also with us uh, is the most musical AV person that I know. Uh, his name is Phil Cordell. Uh, he uh, also goes by the name uh, The AV Professional and also is the, the author and, and, and composer of our yearly uh, AV, uh, AV selfie video. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. Glad to be here. Also VP of Tech Ops at M3 Technology Group in Nashville. Well, yes, that... that <laughs> <laughs> and I got a day job. All right. That too. Um, uh, last but not least, uh, the, the, the rep that actually, one of the smartest reps that I know uh, in, the, in the AV business, uh, his name is Ben Dittman out of St. Louis. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm driving right now, but I'll be stopped in a minute. See, don't, don't tell people you're driving. You just, you know, all right. Ben is driving. Do not try this at home. Uh, he is stopping currently uh, as we speak. So, all right, guys. Uh, first, we, uh, as, as we get started here, first story I want to do is uh, comes to us from the Washington Post, and it's an interesting one. And, and the reason I'm starting with this is because voice control is getting more and more into AV. Microsoft and Amazon are, quote, unquote, making a, a friendship and, and making their voice devices uh, play nice together. Both Cortana and Alexa uh, are, are creating a partnership, and they're, what they're doing is they're uh, able to wake the other one up. Uh, from the Washington Post, quote, unquote, in other words, customers have to say either Cortana, open Alexa, or Alexa, open Cortana. From there, people can talk to either assistant as usual. Phil, I'm going to start with you on this. As we start deploying uh, voice systems in, in both residential, obviously, but also commercial, uh, because that's coming as well. Alexa um, or uh, Amazon, not quite a year ago, last November, uh, rolled out their their Alexa for Business platform. What does this do for both designing and implementing AV systems with voice voice you know, enabled when you have two, in other spaces, competing systems that now kind of work together? Yeah, this is, you know, I, I hope one more step towards what we've come to expect from a professional uh, integratable type of, of product, you know, where that's kind of brand agnostic and we can integrate multiple products from, from different manufacturers. In this case, you know, if you've already got uh, an Alexa or an Echo somewhere in the system and you happen to be using Cortana for some other, you don't know if the Microsoft Surface Hub or something is running that, uh, but that interoperability that, that really a lot of other large manufacturers like Apple, for instance, don't want you to have, you know, they want to keep that ecosystem to themselves and dominate the entire landscape. 
so hopefully this is one step in the right direction towards that, uh, again, just that across the board, it'll all work together. And, and really, it's kind of a cool look into the future uh, and, and what they see, you know, in the value of, you know, we're going to let the gate down because there's enough of this business for everybody. And the more that we can get this technology rolling, the, the bigger benefit it is to all of us. Yeah. Don, I'm not going to ask you for your company specifically because there are certain corporations that are more security conscious than others. But just from an end user standpoint as well, is if you're advising someone and they're looking at two competing voice control systems, does this give it the ability, give corporations the ability to go, eh, it doesn't really matter now because these two can talk to each other? I think it gives us a little more flexibility in what we specify because sometimes, you know, if you look at control systems, because they're all trying to force us into specific ecosystems where you just go one company head to tail, you know, sometimes company A will have a better gizmo and company B will have a better widget. And in an ideal system, you would want the best gizmo and the best widget together. But because they're on competing ecosystems, you don't have the opportunity to do that. And I think by allowing the interoperability with the voice activated systems like Cortana and Alexa, um, you give folks a little more flexibility. So if an Echo Dot works best in this room, say if you're doing a hotel and it's in, in your room, versus one of, one of those great big deals that they have, I don't even know all the names of the Cortana things, but you know, you can actually specify the right product for the right situation and the right use, and they will still operate seamlessly. And that's ultimately something that, that all integrators and all designers are looking for these days. Ben, Don brings up a good point about there are certain manufacturers in the industry that want to keep you siloed, want to keep you in their ecosystem. Does this give a roadmap or maybe a template for manufacturers in our space, a way to, to work well together, I guess is the best way to put that, we're, uh, you know, for, where, where people who would normally, under normal circumstances, be competitors it kind of get, does this give them a, a template and, a, and a, a roadmap to work well together and to Don's point, provide the customer and the end client maybe an overall better system that actually works for them? Well, frankly, what I'd be more worried about is where their future is, period, because once uh, voice control becomes reliable enough and you can say, okay, Google, find this location and take me there, um, why do you need to go to a Crestron panel or have something on your desk? And you can say, uh, okay, Alexa, you know, conference call, bring in these lines and, and boom. And, and now all of a sudden there's not only no need for programming, no need for device, but more efficient, easier, faster to, um, to accomplish the task. And, and uh, so all of a sudden looking down the road, I think it's going to be a lot less uh, code writing and, and programming. And it could potentially uh, turn the professional industry on its ear. Don't you? Well, you, you say you say no programming, but there's still some portion of it that has to be maybe not programmed as in the traditional sense of coding. And, and to be frank, there's only a two or three control systems anymore that have, you know, that require you to do pure coding. Most of them are some sort no, of but and, 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 you know, configuring. But there's still some sort of that configuring, though, even, even in those systems, because you've got to get them to talk to each other. You've got to set up the systems and make sure that the devices that they need to connect to and control are set up and, you know, on the same, um, the same network and, and the uh, permissions have been granted. Isn't there still some sort of that? Today, yeah. today that's the case. But when the uh, APIs are all written 
and it's in a lookup table. And the device, when you've set it in the room and put it on a network, automatically finds all those devices, makes them available to you, just like the light switches on an Alexa. I mean, all of a sudden, it can become very, very easily and easily implemented. And I think, as I said, down the road, that could make it a lot more difficult for the integrator to have a value add when the IT people, who are now the AT people, I call them, all things technical, those people are going to be able to say, oh, yeah, heck, I can, I can type in an IP address. I can, I can set that up. And uh, so I just think down the road that the potential is that it could obsolete, you know, all the... Um, all the devices that are now being put in places. There's already really easy remote devices available that are uh, automatically, you know, populated when you add devices to them. I think it's going to go that way even more. So, not so to mention, oh, I was going to say, not to mention, if you're if you're really paranoid, um, you start getting these smarter and smarter AIs, and then you introduce them to each other. Do you want Skynet? Because that's how you get Skynet. Okay, but but Skynet was is. <laughs> The end result of Skynet was bad. <laughs> the, 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 never mind. I'm Here not comes your slippery slope argument. Uh, I'm not going to try to justify Skynet. Real, real quickly, Ben, I'm going to put you on the spot, and it's an unfair question, and you don't have to answer it. But you brought it up. You mentioned that this, um, this leads to the end of programmers and programming as we know it. So how long, be, how long do programmers have? Well, um, I would say... Uh, um, two to five years, oh. in my opinion. Think, think about it. Um, as it is now, uh, contractors enjoy the ability to write the code once and charge many. They can write a remote, sell it time and time again, and uh, basically write charge for the programming service, as you know, uh, because they have to make tweaks and changes and that sort of thing, just like a consultant writing a specification. It writes a boilerplate. They call it a boilerplate, you know, and then they just adapt it to the job. And they can charge for every word and every hour and every minute it took to write it originally, even if they only copy and paste it. And um, so, it, and it's a valuable service to the customer buying it. It's like the chef preparing the same meal over and over. They're, they're getting the full meal that they pay for, but um, it's the economy of scale of, of being able to duplicate or do something once and, and sell it many that I think we're going to lose because the technology will catch up with the uh, application. Is that not a fair assessment? No, it is. It's a fair assessment. I was just wondering if you had a, a, a timeline in, in your head. So, for all Yeah, I didn't think we would be at a point. I'm discovering things every day that I didn't know were possible with between Google and Alexa and Siri and uh, uh, an Office 365, um, you know, the things that you're able to do in, in collaboration and stuff without any super fancy software is kind of scary. It's very scary. Before we get off this real quickly, that their Office 365 has a, a very unpublicized feature called Flows. Uh, and if you're not familiar with it, it is a, basically it's an automation system for your back end. And you can set up certain... Um, conditions and when that condition is met then it then x y and z happens um, as a, a programmer and as, as a you know somebody who used to do this all the time I look at that and, and that's a programming system right it's, it's a configurated it's a configuration uh, programming language but it's a very based logic based system that lets you do when this happens then do this when you you, you insert this or you type this into an excel spreadsheet then it sends a tweet right or it updates LinkedIn or it you know creates a, a report for you 
Um, so there's all sorts of these backends that are already kind of there that not a whole lot of people realize. So. Yeah, and I would probably just add, I, I could probably maybe get behind the two to five years on uh, on your huddle space, you know, basic conference room. But there, will, my opinion is there will always be a need for uh, the, you know, large scale custom code integrations in, in you know, theaters and military applications and, and a lot of uh, a lot of spaces where it where it's going to take a long time, I think, for that, the level of functionality and the customization of the functionality to catch up uh, to where it could very easily get to, I think, in a, you know, in a SX80 with a touch 10, you know, Cisco right now, you're right, that room could, could be automated via voice easily, you know, soon. Uh, but but a, a lot of the, the larger systems, you know, and I think a lot of integrators recognize that, you know, and, and hopefully I know aren't investing as much in the small cookie cutters as they are in, you know, the talent that, that lets us do the really cool experiential things that, that we like to tout in the AV industry, right? And yeah. those are the jobs that require one-off programming. The performing arts centers and the arenas and things like that require the number of hours legitimately charged as opposed to, you know, the, uh, the other ones where maybe they can get away with copy paste and, and not having to start from scratch and, and do all the, uh, all the oddball integration, but eventually, and with, I mean, look at how the lighting industry is changing with led lights and POE and, uh, all of a sudden integrators aren't wiring things anymore. It's the, uh, it's the, um, uh, cable plant and you know, you're not running audio cables everywhere. You're just uh, telling the uh, Bixie people who are getting more and more involved in the industry to, uh, to do all the cabling, and then we're just plugging devices in and programming them. Yeah, plugging them in with Cat5. So. All right, uh, our next story here comes from us from our friends over at AV Magazine. LinkedIn Campus uh, has actually gone with uh, QSIS for their, for their large meeting rooms, and it's not so much about, about this, even though it is very interesting, the fact that, that the LinkedIn Campus um, is using AES, uh, AES67 Dante and has gone with, with the QSIS-based system. But Don, I want to start with you on this. Um, these, this is a, a large deployment, you know, and this is something that what we used to call a marquee job or a, you know, one that you would use on, on the cover of your, your presentation when you went out to a new client. When these come across a, a salesperson's desk and an engineer's desk, what is the process of getting a job like this um, from, you know, just, not just for the sales process, but also from the engineering and even some of the marketing? Because, you know, let's be honest, the sales has to rely on marketing as well when they're, when they're talking to LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, Google, Alphabet. How, how do they get these jobs and then how do they you know, carry through with them? Well, uh, one thing for sure, you want to get your top team working on it. You don't give it to your you know, junior fresh hired salesman and, and, and your, your engineer that just, you know, got his CTS last week, unless he's the only CTS, then, you know, top men, as they say in uh, Indiana Jones, top men uh, or women. But really, it, you know, it, it just comes down to doing really good work. Um, I, I arguably work now for one of these bigger marquee name companies. And back when I was bidding this particular company and ones like it, it was a challenge for a small integrator to, to bid on these kind of jobs. You had to pull in your number one programmers, your number one engineers, your number one products, you know, talk to your reps, call up your reps, you know, and say, hey, Bradford, what's the greatest product that you have because we need to get this job and we need to, you know, blow their socks off, you know? And, and so it really takes pulling together a team of experts, whether or not the SOW calls for experts, 
Um, the other thing is a lot of these larger marquee companies, including my own, witness this, are starting to hire AV people internally and aren't trusting Joe AV salesman that comes in the door to come up with a system. You know, in the old days, we'd go to a corporate client as, an, as a small integrator and they'd say, we need AV, give us recommendations. And we would design a system and other companies that would compete against us would design a system and they'd go head to head and we'd see what would happen. Now, the bigger companies, they went from that to hiring consultants. Some still hire consultants, but a lot of them have started hiring internal consultants. And so then it's up to people like me to draw these SOWs and put together these equipment lists and designs. And we know what we're looking for. Yeah. We know what an Apex is or AQAV or, you know, insert certification here. We know the best practices of the industry. We know what the industry is going towards and what we aspire to. And we're starting as larger companies to demand that. So I think the biggest thing is look at your team. If you're an integrator and you want some of these big magic marquee market the hell out of this jobs, look at your team. Do you have the top engineers in your area? If not, send them to training. You know, do you have some really on, on top of it salespeople and marketing people? If not, man, send them to some classes at Infocom. I know Kelly teaches some great ones, my co-host on AV Social. I know, you know, Infocom does a great job of putting together classes, not just on the nuts and bolts stuff, but on the marketing, on the sales front, on the back end front, you know, logistics, thinking about the logistics. Can your integration company handle these logistics? You know, and so it's a case of putting together that awesome all-star team and then just working your butts off. And also don't skip a page in the SOW or underbid because then you're going to have a bad day. So. Yeah. And just for the record, Ms. Dawn has also taught uh, a, a, a fair number of classes herself. She's being, she's being modest. Um, ben, from a rep standpoint, and, and you, you're kind of the liaison before the, between the manufacturers and the integrators, Dawn mentioned that what can reps do, you know, being that, that go-between to help integrators you know, connect with the manufacturers to you know, land some of these bigger jobs and get all the necessary documentation and then the product and the support? Well, unfortunately, I'm kind of falling in the category of working harder, not smarter. I think the smart reps are, <laughs> are pitching product and writing orders and uh, cash and checks. Um, we like to go out in the field and actually work hand in hand with the integrators, um, drive to Northwest Iowa to demo a couple loudspeakers at a football field or help commission masking jobs or, or whatever else. So we are trained our users, end users on consoles and stuff, because the integrator really is smart if they can pull resources like the reps, because they can't have people in-house that are specialized on everything they sell. So if they partner with the with the good value-added re, uh, reps, they can come into an end user and look like they actually know what they're talking about and give the customer after the sales support as well that's, that's um, pretty on unparalleled really because if you're buying a hundred fifty thousand dollar mixing console or a fifty thousand dollar sound masking job you want it right and you want to feel like you're uh, you know you're being supported by the factory because because the quest question is going to come up or the call is going to come up or, or you need to have it implemented properly so that's kind of what we do um, and that kind of separates us from the other guys that um, that have the good fortune of, uh, of being able to just take care of the logistics of placing orders <laughs> No, I don't and, know. Does that answer your question? Or it does. It does. It, 
you know, Ben is also being you know, modest. He's he's the one who taught me a number of, of boards and systems over the years. So, uh, Phil, final question to you on this one. Uh, let's say that you got the job, right? You, you've got the job and you, you get to deploy it. What does a good day look like? What does a good deployment look like to you and, and to your team when you've got everything coming, to, coming together and, and, you know, what makes you happy and then what makes the customer happy? Well, you know, Personally, we would want to do as much fabrication on the on the front end, you know, minimize on-site time, you know, so that we don't uh, create a huge log jam in their day-to-day operations as is. So just, you know, doing as much as much on the front end as you can to to make sure that it goes smoothly and that everybody feels good about the process, you know, through and through. And yeah, the fact that it's all, uh, you know, their their QSIS platform over IP really aids in that because it back to that idea of all you need are some cat cables. I mean, yes, there's, uh, there are some other cables in play, but that's what they were really touting as the backbone is that, you know, their robust, uh, AV network infrastructure. Uh, and so, you know, if that's in place, whether our company is putting that in or we're coming behind another, uh, you know, it company that has done that, just making sure all those lines are tested, certified so that we come in, plug it up and it, you know, it's ready to rock and roll. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I came with this article from a slightly different angle, honestly, because uh, I think what QSC is doing right now marketing-wise, I don't know if you guys have seen the Little Billy video, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, which is fantastic, and it's aimed right at the IT, you know, or ATT, you know, all things technical, uh, demographic. And so when I read this, it very much read to me like a case study may be funded by QSC, and that's okay. Nothing, you know, that's, I'm totally fine with that. But it seemed like a part of a, of a, a large marketing push that they're making right now to, to you know, push their, their AV platform into the IT space. Uh, and doing that with a marquee name like LinkedIn certainly, you know, helps their, their bona fides. So to me, that, you know, it all just looked like one big cohesive story that they're out there trying to tell right now through various trade publications and directly through their marketing videos. And I think, the, I think their videos are pretty brilliant, man. So, you know, that, that's what struck a chord with me is like, wow, these guys kind of know what they're doing. And, you know, some of the more traditional uh, control manufacturers and, you know, AV switching manufacturers, and sometimes those are the same companies, uh, you know, could be looking at a, at a downtick in business because QSC is doing a good job at, at positioning themselves in this new IT world. Yeah, that's one thing that they've definitely done over the last couple of years. You, you know, taking QSIS and putting it on a, a traditional server, a Dell server. You know, some other moves that they have made. They're certainly positioning themselves as an IT-centric you know, AV AV company. All right, guys. Last story here comes to us from uh, the AV Technology. Our old friend uh, Haley Klein from PSNI uh, writes about writes to the, the technology manager talking about. You know, there are certainly times when when you can do it yourself. You can you can get uh, equipment from folks like. Uh, folks like Phil, and you can kind of put it yourself. But there are also times when, when you need to hire an AV professional. And I, I just kind of want to take her question and ask it to all three of yours. Title of her, of her article is, When Should You Hire an Audiovisual Specialist? And that got me thinking, okay, let's take that a step further. What makes a good one? What makes a good AV professional? So Ben, uh, you, you are slightly the, the most senior person here. So I'm going to start with you on this. You've been around longer than all three of us. So what, what makes a good AV pro? Um, in my most recent experience, I would have to say age. <laughs> good one. I, I'm sorry, but I see a lot of AV techs from a lot of companies in the field. And if they're young and inexperienced, 
there's, there's a few common mistakes I'm seeing. One, throwing away parts they deem unnecessary before they find out that they need them. Two, because we get the phone calls. Hey, uh, you know those little connectors? Uh, we don't have them anymore. We need them um, tomorrow or today at the three o'clock. Um, the other thing we see is installation practices, uh, just the technology, just the actual physical hardware part of cutting a hole, trimming it, mounting a plate, mounting a screw, turning screws, soldering connectors, all of the basic raw talents of an installer are acquired. Uh, acquired. And if it's a young, inexperienced person, you know, I've seen companies going to installation displacement connectors on XLRs and things like that because they're fast and easy and efficient. And guess what? They don't work as well um, in most cases as solder on products. So uh, old school speaking from tradition after being, you know, from being an installer way back in the 80s uh, myself, um, a lot of it, a lot of a lot of things are still the same. At some point in time, there's going to be a soldering iron and someone's going to now need to know how to solder or you're going to have to screw a screw into a piece something and either it's using the wrong screwdriver blade or whatever else. I, so I see that the best thing in the field, in my experience, is young people working with older people as mentors or trainers and actually helping to supervise those installations. So that's the first thing. Um, and... Uh, and I think young people think they have the, the world by the tail because they have the, the fast drivers and the, and the cool stuff that they, that they got that works and makes it more efficient. But um, lacing cables and dressing racks and things like that is still, it comes down to some experience helpful and service loops and things that, that again, we're not taking time to train them because we're more worried about them being able to program the wireless. And um, a lot of that gets missed. So. Um, I don't know. That's, that's, I guess the thing, the only thing I can chime in of any value is uh, don't underestimate the value of experience. All right, Phil, uh, you are the AV professional. So professional. So what makes a good AV professional? It's right there in the name. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I would agree with, with everything that was, that was just mentioned. And, and we actually have a strong focus on that. Uh, you know, and that's one of my primary tasks is making sure that quality stays up. And, you know, I feel like I kind of am bridging the gap between maybe those days I'd crimp my share of five wire and composite video. And most of the techs that we have now, you know, have not had any need to do that, you know. Uh, but we make sure that in most cases they still know how we solder everything, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Attention to quality. Uh, a, the, to me, what makes a good AV professional is clear, open lines of communication, being comfortable, being that point of contact. Because, uh, you know, things happen in, a, in an installation timeline. As long as everybody's on the same page, usually we can all work through it. But it's if somebody just rolled out without saying anything or just got there and just started working without checking in, you know, it's like those little things uh, that are very easy to fix, but that sometimes go against, you know, uh, what's comfortable for some people. So open, clear communication, uh, a willingness to take responsibility for the project through completion, uh, you know, to say that, yes, this is my job and not, well, I was there and then so-and-so was there. So I figured he had it, which kind of goes back to communication. Uh, the, and, and to me, uh, some, you know, technical uh, experience or just, you know, if, if you feel comfortable with technology, that, that really is, uh, you know, important. Because I've got some guys that did not come from technical fields that learned it, and they were great dudes, uh, and they are still fantastic techs. But you know, have to stretch a little, a little bit harder in some of those, uh, in some of those technical capacities uh, versus people that were already, you know, I mean, our one of our best programmers 
I mean, he had a Crestron processor and, you know, Biamp, uh, Nexia before he ever had a job in AV. He bought them off eBay, started programming. So having that kind of proclivity towards what we do, obviously, helps make a fantastic uh, AV technician, AV pro. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Don, uh, last question. You know, you have the last word on this because you're, you're now in the, as a tech manager field, but you're also used to be an integrator. So from both sides of that, what makes a good uh, AV professional? I think there are two things specifically, and one of them ties into both what Phil said and Bradford said, and that's the knowledge, the education. I've always, you know, anyone that's ever seen me on any of the podcasts here know I'm a big proponent of AV education, industry education, but that doesn't necessarily mean just reading a book or taking a webinar or getting a couple of letters after your name. Education can be hands-on. Education should be hands-on. Education is that experience. You know, uh, we kind of made light that, that uh, Bradford said age there. And, and I would argue that age isn't the correct term entirely so much as experience age. Because you have guys like Phil or the kid that buys a, you know, Crestron thing off of eBay when they're in middle school that have been doing this stuff for years and years and have mad skills and then you have the guy that's been working in IT for 15 years and his boss says, okay, you're the AV guy now. And he's a lot older, but he may not have those AV specific skills that we're looking for. So I think it's a case of the education and the understanding of the AV world or realm that's distinct from IT and anything else because we're our own weird little thing. And that education, hands-on and theoretical, you know, via Avixa, an SCA, Bixie, whomever, that really brings it together as a true AV professional that can handle whatever you need. And then, you know, my other point, it might seem a little weird, but I, I truly believe in it, and that's passion. You, you have to love this stuff. You have to be excited to go and deal with this all the time. Otherwise, you're just going to burn yourself out because you're whining about that pain in the ass customer with that stupid piece of product from that dumb manufacturer that just doesn't work, that that crappy rep sold us, and I had to put in with, you know. It, I mean, it, it just becomes miserable. But the people that are most successful, that are most professional, and that are most inspirational, I've found in my years in this industry, are the ones that really love it that we would be doing this stuff without being paid because we're doing it at home or we're doing it for our mom or our church or our neighborhood, you know, watch group or, you know, whatever organization. We're the ones that just like really geek out on this stuff. And that passion will drive you to the education. It'll give you the experience. It'll give you the willingness and the, the desire to communicate and, and to be a better teammate for your install team, your sales team, your, you know, whatever team. So I think passion is just a huge part of it. And when you tie that with the education experience, you know, business skills, all of that, that gives you the real AV pro. All right. That's actually a good place to stop. And before we go, I, I would be remiss if we weren't, as we're talking about this, uh, commercial integrator released their fifth annual, which is cracking me up this fact this is their fifth one. 40 under 40, 40 influencers of AV under 40. Lots of great names, lots of folks on here, uh, lots of folks. And, and uh, Don and, and Phil have both been on that list. If I'm not mistaken, you both were on the inaugural list, if, if I, I believe that's right. So I was on the first list. Yeah. I was too. Was, and somebody else, somebody else too, right, Tim? I, 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 yeah, I think, I think Tim. And Tim. 
and our friend Aaron. Tim Albright, ladies and gentlemen. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Ms. Dawn Mead, thank you so much for joining us. My Not pleasure. To you. Well, I would tell you where you could reach me at work, but don't I'm not permitted to talk no, about that because I work for a large defense and aerospace company that shall remain nameless for legal reasons. However, you can always find me here on avnation.tv uh, with my lovely co-host Kelly Perkins. I host the AV Social Show. I appear here on the uh, the AV um, AV Week and AV Chat and all all you know AV in the AM on Twitter and and uh, you know all those things that uh, we get around and geek out about because you know passion woo. Um, but if you're looking for me in general, you can find me on Twitter and all the other social things at AV Dawn or Dawn Mead. Right. Mr. Ben Shipman, thank you so much, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you uh, when you're not driving around St. Louis? Thank you. Well, I like to think the best way to get a hold of me is through my value-added and cherished resellers and contractors. <laughs> I, I seldom, I hate to give out my business card to end users because I really want them to contact and have a bond with the resellers that I'm working with and the contractors. Um, so, I mean, my website is avareps.com, but it's not optimized for search engines or anything because it's really, I don't want you to find me. I want you to find my products, my customers, and uh, hopefully I'm the, I'm the guy that's behind the scenes that supports the product on the, uh, on the front end of the back end. But, um, uh, but thank you very much for the opportunity to plug. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and if you're an integrator in the, in the Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, where else do you? Kansas, go? Southern yeah. Illinois. Yeah. yeah region you know you can go by his website uh mr phil cordell thank you as always sir how do people get a hold of you or m3 yeah thanks for having me man uh you can find me on twitter at the underscore av underscore pro uh and find me on youtube of course youtube.com forward slash high fidelity h-i-p-h-i-d-e-l-i-t-y and uh thanks so much for having me man absolutely sir it's always always a pleasure uh my name is tim albright don't follow me on the twitters because uh, at this point i'm already uh, grousing about the Bears season but go by the website if you would please avnation.tv avnation.tv you'll find this program and a host of others john mentioned uh, av social we'll have a new one of that uh, coming out in a couple weeks uh we'll also be heading to cedia 2018 september 6th through the 8th uh, from san diego so check out uh, that special page uh, also we have a new uh webinar coming up september 25th on meeting space technology looking at best practices for uh, needs analysis, deployment, and also installation. So check that out as well. All that and more. And uh, also check out our underwriter section. These are the folks that uh, help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and CDA 2018 and uh, Digital Signage, uh, New York Digital Signage Week after that. So all that and more at avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.